0: Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond.
1: Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand-to-hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls.
0: Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news.
2: It was reported this week that the first in-depth study has been done to see what happens to prisoners who have spent a long time in solitary confinement when they're released into the general population without mental or psychological support. The report from the Human Rights and Trauma Mental Health Lab at Stanford University makes recommendations for the best way to ease such inmates into the general prison population and was based on interviews at three maximum security California prisons. According to the report, the emotional numbing and desensitization that commonly result from long-term solitary confinement continue to plague inmates long after release from solitary. Significant alterations in cognition, perception, concentration, and memory not only persist, but worsen. Some inmates report ongoing anxiety, paranoia, and hypervigilance. The report emphasizes the importance of jobs, mental health services, and other rehabilitative programs to ease the transition. However, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation offers inadequate services, especially in programs that correctional officers run.
0: Some inmates at the Arizona Department of Corrections were searched and had their electrical properties seized and claimed as contraband. The supposed contraband items were such things as TVs, watches, lamps, music, fans, and other items. This occurred after those prisoners defended a fellow inmate who was being harassed by transphobic guards. The cost of items to those in prison is exorbitant, often three to four times what it would be on the outside, especially when coupled with the wages they receive, which is often only 6 to 12 cents an hour. Supporters are asking people to help by donating on a youcaring.com fundraiser that's called, quote, help trans and POC prisoners get their property back, unquote. If you want, you can also call the Arizona DOC Aiming Complex at 520-868-0201 if you want to demand better treatment of Arizona inmates.
1: NBC News reports that criminal justice reformers have founded the Bail Project, an initiative to use charitable funds to bail poor pretrial defendants out of jail. Funded with $30 million, contributed from wealthy donors, the project intends to post bail for over 160,000 low-income people, especially people of color, in the next five years. When a case is completed, the bail money will return to the revolving fund. In January, the bail project will open offices in Tulsa and St. Louis. Eventually, it aims to open 40 other locations. Robin Steinberg, an experienced public defender who founded the project, explained that once bail is set, the only way to get out of a jail cell is to buy one's way out. She observed, quote, If you're rich, you buy your freedom, and you buy the presumption of innocence. If you are not rich, you can't buy your freedom, and you don't get the presumption of innocence. Unquote.
0: Here in Indiana, individuals dropped a banner reading, Drop All Charges Against Shaka, Wednesday afternoon in support of political prisoner Shaka Shakur, whose story we've covered in several previous episodes of Kite Line, who's incarcerated in the Wabash Valley Correctional Facility in order to bring light to false charges and fines he currently faces. Many other locations around Indiana dropped banners in support of Shakur. While Shakur and his supporters are content with gains won with his recent hunger strike, they say not enough has been done by prison officials to meet his demands, and that after the strike, energy needs to be shifted to the $3,000 medical bill and charges that Shakur is subject to after false accusations, what supporters describe as a setup by prison staff. According to an article titled, Shaka Shakur is being charged, on the IDOC Watch blog, quote, Wabash Valley Correctional Facility outside of any standard of due process or any regulatory mandate from a civil authority, has kept Shakur in a 24-hour camera monitored cell deprived him of use of a phone through the month of January, railroaded him on two backdated charges of, quote, threatening, unquote, made him liable for nearly $3,000 in medical bills for Officer Sexton, and deprived him of eight and a half years of good time, unquote. Supporters demand that all charges and fines be dropped against Shakur, and that he's moved out of Wabash Valley Correctional Facility to a facility closer to his family, that his stolen property be returned, and that an internal investigation be conducted at the prison. Shakur's current pretrial is scheduled for February, and his trial is scheduled for March.
2: This week marks the two-year anniversary of the settlement of the lawsuit Ashker v. Governor of California. That court case put an end to indefinite solitary confinement in California. A motion filed by the Center for Constitutional Rights, filed on November 20th, noted that substantial reforms are still needed and that the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is continuing to violate the constitutional rights of Ashker Class Action Suit members. The Ashker litigation followed coordinated hunger strikes by thousands of prisoners statewide The 2015 settlement resulted in the release of nearly 1,600 prisoners into the general prison population, but hundreds of class action suit members were transferred to level 4 prisons, where conditions are similar to those in the solitary confinement of special housing units or shoes. Many inmates are spending the same or more time isolated in their cells than when they were in shoes.
1: Women in state and federal prisons are more than nine times more likely to be infected with HIV than non-incarcerated women. In those facilities, 1.3% of women are HIV positive, whereas the rate in women outside of prison is 0.14%. In the 3,000 jails in the US, which hold people arrested but not yet convicted of a crime, the HIV rates are often much higher. A study that looked at jail health records from 2009 to 2010 concluded that 9% of newly incarcerated women in New York City jails were HIV positive. According to Dr. Anne Spalding, a physician who Specializes in infectious disease and who has cared for both women and men with HIV in prisons and jails for the last 20 years. Quote, jails and prisons are places where a disproportional number of HIV infected women end up, primarily because both HIV and incarceration target those who are poor. Unquote. For this episode, we share part of a talk from two women organizing
0: with prisoners. They speak candidly about the basics of supporting prisoners, and include some of the dynamics they notice while working with those on the inside. We have more to share from these women committed to this solidarity, but we're offering this talk as a launching point for subsequent episodes covering the struggles inside women's prisons. One of the speakers shares information about the magazine, Unstoppable, which is specifically by and for incarcerated folks who identify as women, gender variant, and or trans. This anti-authoritarian publication seeks to blend radical political analysis with personal experiences and observations. Let's get started.
3: Our class is a popular education model. We use a lot of like art, theater, Engaging in a politics of play because prison is so mundane and meant to break the spirit. So oftentimes we're just like laughing and making animal sounds and guards are coming down like, Dude, the monkey sounds, you gotta stop. (laughs) So, you know, we do a lot of that, but we're also into collective movement building, right? But also starting very personal and individual. So dealing with unresolved issues that people in women's prisons and especially in my class might still have, but then thinking about how to work together and, you know, in any kind of prison, and I want to really address this stereotype of how women in prison don't organize together because, you know, they all think that they're catty and everyone gossips, right, like, first off, prison perpetuates hierarchies no matter the facility and no matter the gender or genders housed inside, right, like that's how prison guards maintain control over people is if they can maintain some kind of division and Hierarchy. So we're all about moving past that stereotype because some still hold it on the inside. And anytime you know prison beefs might come up, we just basically redirect the anger up top at the system, and that works especially well. There was this one striking moment in class where there was a woman that you know I thought in the beginning she was perhaps being excluded by the others in the class. She was a 60-year-old woman who was reading at a lower level than the rest of the folks and just had a different or difficult time sort of like catching up, right? And like contributing in the same way that other folks were contributing. And there's this one moment where she comes in sort of shaking, saying like, you know, this 60-year-old woman saying, like, I wrote this poem, you know, and (laughs) and I'm really scared to read it. I was like, no, you gotta, you to sit down, and like, we'll love it, we'll love it, and and she then proceeds to tell the entire class, right, like, I'm scared, and and everyone just rallies around her and supports her and and does everything they can to really lift her up, and I mean that's just one micro interaction, right? But it's something that for me speaks volumes that can happen and multiply and continue to stack up until we see greater resistance. And also too, I think, you know, women's resistance movements on the inside have been either downplayed, ignored, or maybe not defined as sexy as, you know, different kinds of prison organizing so first off women do riot, (laughs) women do kidnap guards, women do hold (laughs) down and then secondly um, you know we did see amazing participation from women um, during the September 9th strikes and we're continuing that momentum because you know this is what they want and they're finding this amazing at least the people I'm interacting with, my friends on the inside, they're finding amazing power with this Solidarity. This newsletter that we've got out on the table, I'm the most proud of this because, you know, I went into the room the first day, we get to know each other, and then I'm like, what do y'all want to do, right? So first off, what we often do is, we write newsletters for the end of class. We talk about how they want to develop a workshop that they can then lead in their prison right? Or how they want to develop study groups in the legacy of George Jackson and Asata Shakur. So, you know, we do that. But for this class, they were like, you know what? You know what this prison is sitting on top of and used to be a part of? The state's mental health hospital, the state hospital that used to be called the Colorado Insane Asylum. And they're like, we want to study that And we also want to talk about how this building, number one, used to be a part of the mental health hospital, and now it's a prison that has almost no mental health services for us, Hmm. except for over-medicating us or and this is the kicker, if you report you have anxiety or depression or something low level according to the prison officials, you will get a five minute session with a nurse practitioner or someone of that stature and then a set of coloring pages to bring back to your unit that's about it, right? So they're like, we wanna talk about that. So this was a collection of poems, essays about the mental health issues in that prison. So they took surveys. They asked other prisoners. They were like, what kind of mental health stuff you got going on, right? And they tracked it all down. They did the like, numerical statistics stuff, and then I had to like, collect it, and I was like, oh. I'm gonna mess this up but I mean it was amazing and then they started to advocate for different mental health services that they wanted to see and we talked about how to do group-based collective mental health models as well another resource that I really like and that we borrowed a lot from was called the Icarus project it's still around
4: Some other things that individuals can do is for one, of course, support organizations and people who are already doing this work in those prisons. It's going to be okay, which is an anti-sex trafficking advocacy organization here in Dallas run by women of color. And they are in the process of getting like the last final funds that they need to be able to build another shelter or another sex trafficking resource and rescue type of a shelter. Colleen Palaika with George Jackson University. There's a number of other orgs that are out here that are kind of doing that work. srlp.org, that's the Sylvia Rivera Prison Project. Yes, Uh, the womenprisoners.org, blackandpink.org. These are all places that you can go and find more information on how to help people. The Black and Pink works a lot with Queer and trans people. There is a organization here in Dallas called the Trans Pride Initiative. Their offices are in... It's in uh, Wynwood. And prisonactivist.org. Prisonactivist.org is a place where you can find like a whole slew of different websites, different groups that are doing things in different cities. A lot of these organizations or groups are only kind of able to service specific areas just because it's a ton of work. And so you want to find somewhere that's local or find somewhere that's far away or something like that, you have access to it with those entities. Other things that you can do and things that I've heard reverberated from formerly incarcerated people, people just in general, is to become a pen pal. Reach out to a person in prison, start correspondence. We did a prisoners, political prisoners letter writing workshop. And that's under the guise that every prisoner is a political prisoner, and so this particular time we were writing to women who are in prison in reference to like domestic violence, as well as other political prisoners of like movement-type stuff and revolutionary work. But yes, you can write to someone in prison. There's lots and lots of places that you can find the the information, all of those websites that I listed about how to get in touch with prisoners. And it's actually really, really cool. Like, I know it maybe sounds mundane, but like if you're writing to someone, there's a few people that I've started to kind of strike up a relationship with. And you're really able to be a lot more than maybe what you think that you can be for a person. Just having access to the outside world, having access to somebody who's thinking and feeling and can, you know, do smaller things for them, like reaching out to like their kids or something. Like you never know how much is not available to someone, you know, and how much you can help, just an individual. I think that like getting organized with groups and all of those different things is super awesome, but that should not stop you from being involved actively. Mm-hmm. Amplify the voices and experiences of people behind bars, like with the newsletters. These are things that can maybe start with two or three people, collect information from them and kind of spread this information so that people kind of know what's going on. People know when people are being sent, you know, to like the shoe and to other uh retaliatory type of measures that are being taken on prisoners so that you can say and do something about it. Oftentimes people would be like, oh my gosh, this is insane. They had you in there like in a brick room with like a bag to piss in and you couldn't take a shower for like three days. That's inhumane. But the vast majority of people don't even know that that's a fact. They don't even know that that's something that's happening. Send books. For many people behind bars and in solitary confinement, those are sanity savers. People having access to books to read, whether it's revolutionary literature, that's my favorite, or any other uh, types of books that that person might be interested in. A lot of people who study while they're uh, locked up come out with like, a whole lot of knowledge, and really kind of getting people towards learning how to become entrepreneurs once they get out, learning skills that they can use to where they don't have to depend on the jobs or whatever else it is of this godforsaken system. Send in news from the outside world, let them know about the stuff that's going on. There was some people who didn't even know that like 9/11 had happened for weeks and weeks <clears> until <throat> you know after it had occurred. Like the whole world can change, and people assume that everybody knows that there's TVs in prison, but They're on lockdown for months at a time. There's no TVs. So kind of giving people that information. These are things you can write about. Participate in call-in campaigns. There's one that's posted on the Black Women's Defense League page. There are call-in campaigns. Whenever I receive them, I try to repost them. They kind of have the information of wardens, the information about what's going on in a particular prison, and even the things that you should say. They're getting calls all the time, and they just get no rest for them they sometimes will fold. They'll give those prisoners what it is that they want and what they need, and that's something that you can do on your lunch break. You know, There's no excuse for us not being involved in these types of things because it doesn't require you a huge amount of time. You can keep track of proposed policies and laws in your area, attend community events and, uh, of politicians, It is good to kind of just kind of keep an eye on like the pulse of what it is that they're proposing. Sometimes you'll have like this politician who's about to like get in office and is about to be able to change ordinances and policies and different things like that who thinks that everybody should be in jail, right? But if you're able to be at that meeting and kind of disrupt that thinking because people kind of think in a herd mentality when you can disrupt the thinking of people and say But how about this? Or how is this helping to fix the problem? Because this, 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 and this. You know, these are like efforts that we can take, as well as raising awareness about these issues, talking to people in person, posting on your social media pages, putting a sign in your window or lawn, organize a film screening, a book group that brings people together. Creativeinterventions.org is a website that is going to give you the tools necessary. Let's say, for instance, you have a friend or a comrade or anything like that who is experiencing abuse. And you're like, well, yeah, like, F the prisons, F the police, but there's still this huge problem that I'm facing right now. Finding ways to intervene without using the state are going to be monumental in our abilities to kind of keep people away from the prison system and further towards abolishing it. People who are able to be out on the outside and do actions and do work are going to be, you know... You want, to, you want to keep that together as much as possible. I guess there doesn't really need to be like much of like an excuse of why you wouldn't want someone to go to prison, but restorative justice models are another thing that we can start to look into in ways of evading, using the state and using the police systems to solve these problems. There are things that require community first and foremost. You know, you can have all of the diagrams on how to deal with something and all of the books, one of them being The Revolution Starts at Home, one of my favorite, favorite hands-down materials, as far as like, kind of navigating these situations and having a community response to them, advocating for the people who have been victimized within them, as well as providing resources so that people are not continuing these types of behaviors. StopViolenceEveryday.org, these are all places that have these kind of frameworks for restorative justice models and for interventions in these types of issues that we may experience that we can use. We're thinking of trying to do some things that are kind of above ground, but also some things that, I personally, I feel like if we are in solidarity that fascists, white supremacists shouldn't be able to go around and spread their hate, that people who are physically every single day introducing our children to rape situations, abusing them, doing these things, they should fear showing their face in public. And so, you know, I feel like if we're able to put that energy into like this fascism and Nazi and all these other different things that are very much real mm-hmm. these are these are potential threats there are viable threats mm-hmm. and these people are able to they feel no problem doing what they do because they know they're not going to be the one sent to jail mm-hmm. because they cross their tracks just that good they have the person who they're trafficking book the room deal with the girls do all of the stuff and all they do is count freaking money
2: mm-hmm. and so
4: I'm with you, <laughs> there's going to be propaganda, but we also need people who are not afraid to you know, really get in unison and, and work to help deal with this stuff. I wanted to read just like a little bit, a little excerpt from uh, Blood In My Eye. And so George Jackson, Blood In My Eye, was one of the first uh, pieces of revolutionary literature that I read and it still resonates with me today. Something that I feel like we have to never lose sight of is that revolution is illegal. Revolution is illegal, it is against the law, it is prohibited, it will not be allowed. It is clear that the revolutionary is a lawless person, the outlaw and the lupin will make the revolution. So this idea that we have that like all of us together with like our collegiate brains and all of our little think tanks and all of our little resource studies and all of this other stuff is going to make the revolution and it's going to be people who have been <laughs> by this system day after day after day who are actually gonna have the balls to do something about it. Or the ovaries. You know. <laughs> And so the separation, as we talked about earlier, of the academia from those who are most marginalized is purposeful. It's something that the system introduced around, like, the 80s, the Reagan era. You remember, like, the X-Clan, NWA, all of those people who were, like, very much radical, weren't really with the shit about, like, being kind of quiet about it. They were separated from people who were able to substantiate their needs, substantiate the causes that they were fighting for. And to me, I believe that that is the most important thing at the present the black worker and other marginalized workers are simply choosing the less dangerous and complicated strategy of survival. All classes and all people are subject to the authoritarian syndrome. It is an advested throwback to herd instincts, but it requires only the proper trauma, the proper echo sociological set of circumstantial pressures to bring forth a revolutionary consciousness. So the Authoritarian syndrome is the other side of the abuse, right? It's the other side of, like, the sex trafficking. It's the other side of the domestic violence. It's the other side of these things that kind of are scourges within our communities and within our societies. But it's something that has been predicated by the system itself and that makes people into, like, these very self-serving, blind kind of participants in this white supremacy. And so when people can have that kind of light flicked back off and, or turned on, rather, and really kind of start to see the totality of the systems at play, it's then that they are given the tools necessary to form revolution, and that all of us have to be a part of that toolbox. All of us have, we're the hammer, a nail, we have something. And so, you know, recognizing your place in that toolbox is okay. You don't have to be, like, the one. You know doing everything but using your time your energy your resources to the best of your ability not like the five cent starbuck you know uh coupon that you get to put on there to like save the starving children but no like actually using your time energy and resources to forward this movement i believe in solidarity with everybody else who believes it that they are going to be the the major change makers within our our movement.
3: In this most recent newsletter that we put out with this cover, folks on the inside wanted to write something for Fight Toxic prisons specifically. So I told them about y'all and they were just into it. And we talked a lot about the issues of disposability, right, like when we think about toxicity, we think about waste throwing away, you know, and for prisoners, a lot of the themes that come up are feeling like disposable bodies that are thrown away in warehouse. And so, Erin Campbell talks about this intersection between the environment and then the physical disposability. She says, my environment's disgusting. On every single level, the smell is atrocious. The bathroom, filthy. The water comes out looking milky. The noise is constant, the drama as well. The cops disrespectful, degrading as hell. Nothing in this place ever goes well. The water is poison. Oppression is real. The only thing that keeps me sane is playing along with all these games. My pain is toxic. My tears burn my face. I hate being confined in this god-awful place. Sentenced, sad, suffering, sitting all alone. Longing so bad just to go home. It's a daily battle to make it through between the chemicals ingested, crooked cops and plastic people too. But what's worse is it's years till I can even get out, but I'll wage my war to fight. For my life, till the gates open up so I can take flight and cleanse myself and begin my new life. This person, Jennifer from Webs of Support, wrote this. She said, hey, come here, let's have a talk. Just a little reminder of everything you are not. You're not good enough. You're not worth it. It's plain to see. You're labeled a criminal, and that's all you'll ever be. You say I have no worth, but you get money to lock me away. Under false pretense of corrections, but without prisoners, you wouldn't get paid. So it's a cycle never-ending. You really don't care if you help. We're nothing but numbers living in your hell. You're wasting your breath because you speak the truth. You say, we really don't care, and no one will believe you. It's your word against ours, so don't forget your place. We hold the power, and you're just pawns in a game. See that's where you're wrong, you're blinded by greed, it's your turn right now, but one day you'll see that our stories don't end here. This doesn't have to be our lives, we can take back control, we have the power to rise.
0: Thanks to those who contributed to this episode. Following this, we will start our exploration of PRIYA, the Prison Rape Elimination Act, covering its history surprising strategic deployment, and first-hand accounts from prisoners on its impact. Please join us. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at KiteLineRadio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512, or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.